I'd like to just finish in part four of Family ID. Now today, if you're a young person, this will apply to you. If you have a problem with your boss, and you're not even married, and you're single, this will apply to you. And if you're married, this will definitely apply to you. If you've got a brother or a sister, this will apply to you. I'm going to talk today about restoring harmony in your home or in your class or with some of your peers. And we're in the last of the series, Strengthening Your Family. <clears throat> why am I taking some time to talk about this? I'll tell you why, because everywhere you go, you hear about how to be successful everywhere and when things are, you know, how to do things well. One thing I want to talk about is how to do well in the middle of conflict. And every single living being is going to have conflict. Everybody. We don't often focus and spend time of how to do well. What to do when conflict is so common. Conflict can hurt families. I know that. And so do you. Conflict can damage families. Sometimes irreparably. If it's handled incorrectly. Conflict handled incorrectly can actually destroy families. So today... In Mark chapter 3 and verse 35, I'm initially going to read from the Good News Version. It says this, If a family divides itself into groups. Ever been there? <laughs> that camp and this camp. Which fight each other. This could be even brother and sister. Or brother and brother. That family will fall apart. Straight there in the Scriptures. Living Bible says this, same verse, a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. Destroys itself. Now I think, as I'm preparing to give uh, some premarital counselling, at the moment, it should be a law, a literally a law, like you can't drive a car unless you have a what? A licence. You need to be licensed to handle conflict. Otherwise, the collateral damage can be very significant. Licensed to handle tricky situations. Because often we go into situations much like teenagers learn to drive a car. I can do this, this is easy. <laughs> no clue of how much damage we can cause in a relationship. We go into relationships totally blind. Everything's going to be fan fantastic. Hey? Eh? No problems at all. Now, how many of you, before you got married, somebody sat down and taught you how to fight fairly? Can I see your hands, please? Hello? <laughs> that ought to be illegal. <laughs> there ought to be a law. But you know why? Because conflict is inevitable. Every person is unique. We all have different desires, right? She likes it hot, I like it cold. <laughs> or when I like it cold, she wants it hot. <laughs> We're all different. We have different interests, very different temperaments. Calm down. Wake up. <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of differences, right? And therefore, we're going to clash because we are different. We look at life differently. Today we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the reason for conflict. Then we're going to look at the reactions that you're going to be very familiar with 
of conflict. And then we're gonna look at how to resolve conflict. Three things we're gonna do today. Three. Now, first of all, the cause and the reasons for conflict. The Bible says this in James chapter four, verse one. It says, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? You want something, but you don't get it. Mm. Now the cause of conflict there, the Bible says, is competing desires. I want what I want, and you want what you want. And so we have competing needs and competing interests. This is more important. No, 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 this is more important. Now how many of you have the luxury I know it's a ways off now, of having an electric blanket. Anybody got an electric blanket? Okay. Well, some of you who are younger may not realise that there once was a time when there was one control on an electric blanket. <laughs> that right there has probably caused more divorces. <laughs> no. It's a really dumb idea, isn't it? You know? We make for different body temperatures, Right? Some like it hot, some like it cold. Just like with different temperaments. As we go along in marriage, now listen carefully, young people. As we go along in marriage, conflict is inevitable. It's going to come. Now somebody said that marriage goes through three clear stages. Here they are, watch carefully. The first one is this, the happy honeymoon. The happy honeymoon. The second one is party's over. And the third stage is, let's make a deal. <laughs> let's cut a deal to keep the ante down. Now, how do you normally react to conflict? This is you, which may be different to your spouse. Often is. And I've put a bit of a list there. You may want to put a check mark or a star, which is like you. Now, the first one is, some people react when there's a conflict and competing desires. Well, it's my way. My way. My way or the... Highway. My win, I win. I assert my will until you give in. That's one way some people try and break conflict, uh, break a deadlock. My way, that's it. No negotiation. Not a smart way to go if you want to have a relationship. Number two, second way, is no way. This says, I withdraw, I don't want to have any part of this conflict. And nothing is ever resolved because we just keep walking away from the problem <clears throat> and stuffing it under the rug. So it's no way. Don't want to touch this. Too hot to handle. That's another way of handling. Some people try and handle conflict. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's your spouse. Doesn't want to bring it up. Doesn't want to engage. Or the third way. Well, okay, it's your way. I give in and I roll over like a dead dog. It's... I just let you walk all over me and I'm like a doormat. Whatever you want, just to keep the peace. I give him. The fourth way, people sometimes will try, and this is better than the other three for sure, and this halfway. Now you compromise a little, I give a little, you give a little, and that's halfway. But the fifth way is our way. And our way is where we agree our mutual goals and I not only care about solving the problem, which is a problem, but I also care about the relationship. I care about you. And I want us to have a mutually satisfactory resolution to this conflict because you are important and the relationship is important. 
And it's one of the important things we'll get to a little later on in this message that it is always more important to resolve the conflict than to dissolve the relationship. So, resolution. How do we resolve conflict? Now, by the way, I know that many of you are hurting today. You could be hurting at work because you've got a challenging boss or a challenging co-worker. I know that some of you are hurting in your families because you have a, a challenging situation within your family. And by the way, parents, use, grandparents, use this opportunity to teach these principles to your children. Because remember, values are caught, not taught. So, I want to look at eight steps on how to resolve conflict. And I want to start off with a foundation. Before you ever build a building, you need to lay a good, strong foundation no good, strong foundation. Everything else you build on top of it is a bit shaky. And the first one might surprise you, but hear me out till the end of the point. The first one is live. Live like a Christian. And I want to say that very unashamedly. Become a believer. I'll tell you why. That's the starting point. You see, <clears throat> you resolve, first of all, your conflict with God... And commit your life to Christ. Because until you do, you're in conflict with God, you have violated His instructions, and you're trying to live without Him. Now the Bible says, if I'm not a Christian, if I've not committed my life to Christ, I am in conflict with God. I'm going a different direction. And when I'm having conflict with God vertically, it spills out to people horizontally. It just spills out. It's easier to have peace with other people when I have peace with God. Many marriage problems will be solved if everybody in the family would actually live, not just profess, live like Jesus Christ. Now please don't put that off any longer. It is a foundation. Do it today. Open your heart to Christ and the power that you will give to not only forgive your sin, but to give you the power and the desire to do the right thing in the future as a believer. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. As parts of the same body, our anger with each other has disappeared. For both of us, both of us have been reconciled to God. And so the feud has ended at the cross. That's why John very boldly says you're a liar if you say I love God and you hate your neighbour. He says, come on. Who do you think you're kidding? He says, how can you say you love God who you can't see but your neighbour's right there in front of you? What's the spot the disconnect? So when Jesus Christ's spirit is living within me and Jesus Christ's spirit is living within your spouse, you... Jesus is not going to fight with Jesus, right? The only thing that will is those selfish desires that come up and try and raise their ugly heads. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Huh? Love, joy, peace, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control, I can control that. Again, six things, there's no law. So, 
Many of you could say that before you became a believer, you really had no motivation at all to resolve conflicts. If I had a conflict, you'd say, well, that's your problem. But now that I'm a believer and have the Holy Spirit living within my life, God gives us a desire to try to make things right. He says, where at all possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Now, it's not always possible. But as far as it depends upon you, you can at least offer that and initiate that. Now you'll be amazed at the power of reconciliation that comes into your life when you are living with Jesus every day on a moment-by-moment basis. That's the foundation. Now, let's get to the next thing. Two, talk about God. So talk to God about the conflict. Talk to God about the conflict. Before you start, go, right, I'm going to fix this. Slow down. Talk to God first before you talk to the person you're upset with. Pray about it. Admit it to him. You may end up solving it right there. He may say, yeah, you know why she's mad at you? What? And you may just be solved then. James 4.2 says this, you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Circle, ask God. Many conflicts we have in life occur when we expect other people to meet the needs that only God can meet. Many times we're looking to other people and God says, actually, ask me. Ask me. I'm the one that can give you that deep insecurity, uh, that deep security. I'm the one that can give you that deep peace. That washes over that low-grade anxiety that's constantly rumbling in your stomach. Ask me. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, well, if I just get married, then all my needs will be met. and Everything will be great. Or if I just meet the right pe- person, then it'll be all sweet. Friends, that is not True. No matter how wonderful that person is, you'll never meet somebody who's going to meet all of your needs. And by the way, friends, that is unfair to ever expect anybody, any physical person, to meet all of your needs. That's unreasonable. They can't. Now, God designed you, actually, in such a way that he wants you to recognise that fact and go, oh, of course, only you can. He can meet those needs, your deepest needs. And if you're single, don't go looking for somebody to meet all your needs. You're not going to find them. Look to God. They'll meet some, but not all. Now, when I'm expecting somebody else to meet all of my needs, there's a funny sort of sense of unease that eventually turns into a red flashing light and it ends up being anger. It turns out to be anger. When people are, when we're expecting people to meet all of our needs that God wants to need, uh, meet, and that is unfair. Third, analyse the problem. Ask yourself, how much of this situation right now that I'm in is really my problem? And ask the Holy Spirit to show you what is, what's my part in this. So before you start accusing somebody else and excusing yourself and blaming the other person and attacking the other person, which is never helpful, because <clears throat> what happens when you get attacked? You go like this, don't you? And you can't hear because you're too busy defending yourself. 
That's never productive. And Jesus says, check it yourself out first. Check yourself out. Am I the problem? Am I the cause of this issue? Is there a blind spot that I'm not seeing? In fact, he says it very clearly here in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 3. He says, why then do you look at the speck, the little imperfection in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? Take the log out of your own eye first. Deal to yourself first is the issue. Then you'll be able to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So when you're in a conflict, before you start getting the sawdust out of your husband or wife's eye, he's saying, take the telegraph pole out of your own. <laughs> Check it out. Ask, am I the problem? Am I being too demanding? Am I being unrealistic? Go, oh my goodness. If your expectations are up here, I want your husband or spouse to live as down there. The distance between A and B is exactly the size of the frustration. So you've got to look, is this really reasonable? And maybe adjust it. Am I being overly sensitive? Another good question. Am I being impatient? Is that reasonable? Or opposite, am I being insensitive? Am I the problem, in other words? Now, there's no such thing as a one-person problem in a family. Family problems are not just your problem. They are our problem. If there's a problem, it's our problem. The Bible says this. If we say that we have not sinned, not me, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is what? Not in us. Very easy to point the finger at somebody else, but hang on, what part of this have I got to play? And you know what? Very, 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 very rarely I've ever found it's 100% one person's problem and 0% another. It's often a split. So be honest. Nobody's perfect and we all have made mistakes and we do dumb things. So after you've done these first three things, one, you've committed your life to Christ and living it like a Christian. Two, you've talked to God about the problem. Three, you've analysed it. Four, you need to do this. <clears throat> Schedule a peace conference. Sit down face to face. Now we don't like to do this. This is, you probably were never taught this by your mum or your dad. Sit down. Where you deal with what is the problem? Because as you notice, sometimes things present as one problem and <laughs> the root of it is something else. Conflict is seldom resolved accidentally. Oh, look at that. It's just gone away. No, it's gone into, I'm avoiding this. It doesn't resolve itself. It needs to be done intentionally and deliberately. Now, Jesus was talking about going to church in this next scripture I'm going to talk about. And the priority of getting things right with each other, listen to this carefully, over worship. Let <laughs> me say that again. Jesus is saying it's very important to get things right between each other. It's more important than coming to me and worshipping me. And you've got broken relationships. Here it is, Matthew 5. If you go to church, he says here, if you go to church and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar and go at once and make peace with your brother and then come back and offer your gift to God. Jesus says, if you've got a problem and you're coming to church and you're getting ready to give the offering and you remember there's a problem, he says, get it right. 
these things cut to the heart of what it means to live like Jesus wants us to live. Notice, it does say, leave your gift at the altar. (laughs) So still put your offering in. (laughs) What he's really saying here, the real guts of this, is you cannot worship effectively with unresolved conflict. Did you get that? Get it? That's really important. Because otherwise he says this in other places. He says, you come to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Ever had a fight? In the car on the way to church. Who's had one of those? Every hand should be up. Here's another verse which is, which is stunning. It's assaulting in its truth. You want to go look it up at home. I'll just briefly mention it. It's 1 Peter 3.7. 1 Peter 3.7 says this. Husbands, live your life with your wife in an understanding manner. Lest, here it comes, lest your prayers be hindered. Jesus elevates women, marriage, and harmony. First Peter 3, 7. If you're not in harmony with your wife and you're hindering, it's going to hinder your prayers. The Bible says it. First Peter 3, 7 is a reference. Go research it at home. Some of you are praying for, to God for change in your marriage, in your business, and you're not seeing any answers. Perhaps you should meditate on that verse. The Bible says disharmony in the home hinders our prayers. So a couple of practical suggestions for a peace conference. Number one, choose the right time. You might want to just write this song. Don't drop a bomb on them. Just drop their bags at the door and boom. Or just if they're about to go to sleep and spin all, then boom, it's like you're ambushed. Came from nowhere. But you're just so frustrated with the situation, it just spills out. Well, actually, one of, the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Think carefully. The difference in squash between a killer shot and golf, speak to PJ here, between a good drive and a bad drive is timing. You hit it too soon, if you hit it too soon, you're going to hit it over there. If you hit it too late, it's going to go over there. Because you're going to, it's going to go over there. So, so, and you hit the same, the same amount of force, but timing is critical to get a good shot. I don't mean to get a good shot shot. <laughs> now some of you, for example, are morning people. Others of you, they don't even believe in God till 10 o'clock. It takes a while to warm up. And usually, morning people marry evening people. So when one's fired up and ready to go, the other one's... <laughs> Just about when you get to your main point, they snore, it's not good for the resolution. <laughs> Oh man, because opposites normally attract and then opposites attack. You need to find the time that's best for both of you. Second, choose the right place. I don't recommend you do this in a restaurant. Because if it's a real issue, there's going to be quite a bit of heat before you get to the light. And for goodness sake, keep your cell phone out of the picture. And I thought, oh, excuse me, honey. 
<laughs> Not a good move. <laughs> it's going to inflame the situation. And I think, can I, can I, re- can I suggest, not always possible, but where possible, don't argue in bed. Not a good place. That's for fun. D- d- don't associate. Because often, you're too tired and it's the only time you've had with that person. So you think, right, this is a great opportunity. <laughs> no, just be strategic. Hold on. Three, if it's a really big issue, pray before you meet. You need wisdom, so do I. To get your own heart right, God, is there something in here that, you know, and come with the spirit of reconciliation, not, I've got 17 points I'm going to slaughter you with. You can't get out of this one. Come with the spirit, you want to try and fix it. And be ready to work on the issue. Issue, the issue, not the person. That's one of the things I found very refreshing in some of the companies I've worked for. I've been very blessed to work with some very professional multinationals and they had a very good ability to focus on the issue, not the personality. Not attacking each other, but putting all those energies into the problem resolution. We're on the same team. And then come with a positive attitude towards this peace conference. Work on the issue and not with the attitude, well, it, to try and blame and unload. That'll never fix the thing. Well, I'm blaming you and here's the reasons why. That's blaming and unloading. And accusing them and excusing my behaviour. Now, once you've scheduled a peace conference, very important, so you say, well, this isn't probably a good time to talk about now. Huh? Can we do this on Monday or tomorrow, whatever. But it's really good at the beginning to establish grand rules. Ground rules. Establish some grand rules. When you argue, when you have a conflict, and yes, you will have major differences of opinion, but we need to talk about them. Even though we disagree, we can agree not to use certain weapons. The Bible says don't ever use coarse language. Completely inappropriate. Don't demean and demand. Anyway, let's get on with these seven ones, which I think are useful as well. I'll just briefly put down seven ones which were useful for fighting fear in marriage. In fact, one of the first messages in this church was how to have a good fight. Some of you may have missed that. You may want to go back and get it. How to have a good fight. Because you are going to have a fight, so you might as well have a good one. So first one is never compare. Don't say, well, why can't you be like your brother? Not a good move. Or you're just like your mother. (laughs) It is unfair to compare. Don't do that to your children either. In fact, the Bible says clearly, do not compare yourself one with another. God made everybody unique. That's stupid. That's us comparing a square to a rectangle. Different. So, second, never condemn. Don't you phrase, use phrases like, you always. That's a very big word. Always is a big word. You never. Never is a big word. Because you know what the male's going to do? He's going to think of one exception, the rule's broken. Null and void. Or you should. Notice the pronouns too. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Only God has the right to judge like that. You do. Suggestion, don't start statements with you. Start statements with I. I feel like. 
That's not threatening, is it? See? I'm not you, you, you. I feel like. It seems to me. See the language difference? It's much less threatening. I need you to tell me when you're not coming home from work on time. Rather than, you never tell you. There's a difference in approach. I need, okay, C, and three, never command. Don't try to end an argument by force. Don't even do it with your teenagers. Tiebreakers are to be avoided. Don't try to end an argument for us. I demand that you do what I say. I can't believe those words. I've heard some people say that. Don't try to parent a spouse. Don't make demands because it causes temperatures to rise fast. This is another dumb thing to do. Never challenge. Just try that and see what happens. That's a really foolish thing to say. (laughs) You know what your kids do. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Don't do that. Yeah. When when you were a kid, somebody draw a line, a dare you step over it, you know what you did. That's human nature. The rebellious aspect of human nature. Right, Melanie? (laughs) Five. Never challenge. I already said that. Sorry, for that's four. I beg your pardon. Three of the most common threats in marriage. And these are ugly. But I'm going to tell them you what they are. People threaten with sex. And they do it silently. You just, oh, I haven't seen my wife for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, a month, three months. They withdraw sex. They're getting back at them. They threaten them. They threaten them with sex. You don't behave the way I want you. I'm going to withdraw sex. There's a whole couple of verses on that in the scripture, not time to go into those today. The second way people threaten in marriages with money. Effectively, I'll cut off your supply. I'll cut off your support. That is mean and belligerent. It's another threat. And, and one which I would highly recommend. You know, in the old days, in the Cold War, they used to have, in the, in the weapons treaties, they would agree, we'll fight We'll mow each other down with machine guns and we'll do stuff like that, but we'll never use weapons of mass destruction, i.e. atomic bombs. They've got treaties on that, right? They've agreed, even though we severely disagree and we will kill each other, we will not use those. Some things are off limits. WMD. But there are WMDs for marriage too. And one of them is, I'm out of here. The threat of divorce. They are off limits. No matter how mad you get, they are off limits because they're weapons of words of mass destruction. We need to grow up and not use those words. Five, never condescend. Never treat another person as, as inferior to yourself. Don't belittle your spouse. Only little people belittle. You shouldn't feel that way. Well, maybe it's I don't understand why you feel like that way, but guess what they do and to them it's reality. Don't ridicule their feelings, them, their feelings, or their logic. And six, never contradict. Never interrupt in the middle of a sentence. You know, you just get going. <laughs> and we tend to get into arguments. And all we see is ourselves. And we're not thinking about what the other person is trying to say. We're just reloading as fast as they're saying. Yeah, yeah, carry on. 
we're just pumping up our guns ready for the next, next, our next shot. Wait your turn to talk in the conflict and don't cut each other off. And seven, don't confuse. That's when you got this sneaking suspicion you're losing the battle and you're going, getting dragged this way, so you're, oh man, I better drag up some other ammunition from another argument which will help the battle go back this way. You know what that means, don't you? Huh? Don't confuse the situation. Often people do that intentionally to sidetrack people. Some of you are very good at this. <laughs> yeah. You switch the argument. So stick to the issue. Now that summarises. To summarise those seven things in one sentence is this, is attack the issue, not each other. Attack the issue. Because you're on the same team. Remember that. The Bible says this in Proverbs eleven twenty nine. A fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. Wow. It's foolish to intentionally cause anger. In fact, there's a great verse that says, let us concentrate on those things that promote harmony. Mm, I like that. It's dumb when we intentionally cause anger and we've all done it. You live with these people all the time. And you know what will tick off your husband or your wife or your kids. And you know if you just push that button, man, you'll get a rise straight away and it'll make them mad. But the Bible says it's dumb to push those buttons and make people angry intentionally because it'll build resentment. That's foolish. Number six, switch your focus from your needs to his needs or to her needs. And if we just do what Philippians 2 says here, we'd have very few conflicts in our home. Here it is, Philippians 2. Each of you should look out not only for your interests, but also for the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What was Jesus Christ's attitude? It wasn't, I'm looking after number one. But he was looking out for other people. That means paying attention to other people's needs that you're having the conflict with. Now, when we're angry, I don't know whether you've noticed, but we're typically totally preoccupied and absorbed with ourselves. All we can see is our, our disappointments, our hurts, our needs that haven't been met, our expectations. And the Bible says, look to the needs of others. Now, when two immature people want their own way and they're not thinking about each other person, conflict is inevitable. We just need to grow up there. Number seven, ask for advice. I just want to point something out here. One meeting is really enough to resolve a dispute. You need to schedule a few visits at this. This may sound feel weird, but it really often isn't finished. If you're not making any progress at all, be that at work, be that in your family, or you're not making it fast enough and your home life is deteriorating, you need to get some help. Get a third party involved and ask for some advice. In every other area of your life, you apply this rule religiously. If you have a health problem and you've got this weird growth sitting somewhere here, you're going to say, oh, I'll try and work this out myself. You're going to get some help. You're going to get somebody who's going to diagnose a problem and prescribe a solution. And guess what? You're going to follow it. I guarantee it. If you have a legal problem, which I had a friend of mine call me up the other day. He said, I am in dire duda. And if we don't fix this, I've lost everything. 
I didn't say, well, you just go fix it up yourself. I sent him to one of my best lawyers who deals specifically with this particular aspect of, of law. He sought third-party advice and he got help. If you have a financial problem, you get to a CPA. If you have a relationship problem in your family, get some Christian counsel. Somebody who is committed to the lifelong to lifelong marriage. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Not just, oh, I'll work it out myself. Do you say that when you're going bankrupt? If you do, you're probably pretty foolish. Or do you say that when you've got cancer? Well, I'll just work it out myself. No, you get the advice of a professional. Now, I've got to say, it takes some courage to say, we've got a problem and it's not being solved because it's been here for years. Let's get some practical advice. Now, what if your spouse won't go? Says, nah, not doing it. Okay, if they, if they say that, go yourself. Go yourself. Because at least you can work on you. At least you can work on you. And you can get it together, get some help. Now, the Bible talks about this here. Proverbs 15, verse 12. Now, just this verse, very important. Conceited people do not like to be corrected. They never ask for advice from those who are wiser. Following that on, Proverbs 15, 32, a little bit further down. If you refuse to learn, you're hurting yourself. Now, what is the worth of having a harmonious home? Something that you could look forward to coming home to compared to, oh, I'm not even sure when I go home. Number eight, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't walk out in the middle of a fight and that's the easiest thing for all of us to do. Me and you. You need to finish your fight. Finish it. Otherwise that sucker comes back from the dead. Have you noticed that? That's six months later. Get out of here. It comes back from nowhere. It seems to gather life again. I thought we've been through this. Huh? Finish your fights. Stick with it. Resolve them. Conflict resolution is never easy, but it's worth it. There are three stages in a conflict. One is a recognition, and that's good. It goes like this, we have a problem. That's the first step in resolving anything. We have a problem. And many of us have a hard time in recognising we have a problem because we say we don't have a problem. And that's denying reality. That's insanity. Number two. Stage two is the reaction. And it's normally like this. It's worse than what I thought. <laughs> that's not good. We're like good news on the happy side, right? And that's a painful stage. I'm just nailing it there. Voices are raised. Tears are bound to be shed. Some hurtful things come out. Bitterness, resentment and anger and frustration, fears and irritation. By the way, please... It's easy to say sitting down here in this lovely big family we've here today, but be very careful what you say when you are mad and upset. Because man, there's some things I wish I would never have said if I had my time again, and same for you. So be careful. Young people, learn from that. Be careful. Then stage three is a resolution. Okay, we've got a problem. It's worse than we thought. Three, what are we going to do about it? You've got to stick with it. 
It takes courage to work it out when every part of you is thinking, thinking, notice I'm saying, I've got to get out of this place. Don't put up with this. Weird things will come into your head like that. It takes courage to stay at the peace table. Now let me just point something out right there, which I just feel prompted to say. Friends, whenever you hear those words, I've got to get out of here, I can't stand this any longer, let me tell you, every single person in this world is a fallen human being with sinful tendencies and the grass is not greener on the other side. It's just another set of problems and often a much bigger set because you then enter enter into what you call a blended family. That is a higher level of complexity that that many of you would want to deal with and many of you here can testify to. It's tricky. So don't, don't be deluded by that thought. So my plea to you here today is as your pastor, and because I'm, I and Kimberly and this church is committed to building strong families, is to make a commitment, and it's this, that we will do whatever it takes to make this thing work, however long it takes. It's more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. Last verse. Okay. Galatians says this. It says, Let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's pray. I know today has been a it's been painful for some of you. And yet I believe that God brought you here because you need to hear this. These few steps that we've covered today will work for you. But you must start at step one. Step one, become a believer and live like Jesus wants you to live. Give him the good, the bad, the ugly, the past, the present, the future, the hurts, the fears, the frustrations, the failures, the foibles, the heartaches, the resentment, the guilt, and all of that. Would you today start with step one? Commit or recommit your life to Christ and let him drain that anger and the frustration and the hurt and the insecurity out of your life. Bible says as parts of the same body because we're in God's family as Christians our anger against each other has disappeared for both of us have been reconciled to God is that true really true of your family both of you have been reconciled to God Because if it has, the next phrase will come to pass. And the feud has ended at the cross. It may just be that much of the conflict in your home is really because you still have a conflict with God and you're not walking in His ways. That feud can end at the cross. Will you let that become true in your life? In the past few weeks, 
or months or even years, some of you have come to realise that my marriage, my family, is at least or at best tenuous if I just rely on human power alone. Friend, you need a supernatural power to change your heart, to love you unconditionally, to take away the fears that drive so many of your anxieties and your irritability. Open your life to Christ. Whether you're married or whether you're single, only God can meet your deepest needs. Stop looking for them to be totally fulfilled in one other person. Look to Jesus because He really cares for you. And you can let His peace fill your life. And when you have peace with God, then you'll have peace with men. And He will give you the spirit of reconciliation, which gives you not only the desire to make things right, but the power to start the peace conference. Would you say yes to Him? Say, Father, I know that there are many things wrong in my life, but I want to give you my life today. Father, now I pray for the many hurting people that are here today, maybe some at work, maybe some with friends, and maybe some in their families. And I pray that your peace, which passes all of our understanding, and your healing power might be on them as they open their lives to you. Father, would you save people this morning? Restore harmony where there needs to be harmony. Now would you, would you say, Jesus Christ, I need to give you my life and my family. I don't want to become a fanatic, but I sure need your help in my home. And he'll help you. Would you say, Lord, I admit that I've done many things wrong. Father, help me to be unselfish and not to just think of myself, but to think of my wife and her needs. Help me to think of my children and put their needs in perspective. Or my wife or my husband. Give me the power to do your will. I'm opening my life to you Jesus Christ today Lord thank you for your word which is so practical it applies to our lives build strong homes that we may have a strong church and a strong nation for Jesus name I ask it Amen today if you've said no that's me I need to recommit because there's a disconnect. I need to commit, recommit to Jesus. I need His peace. I need His power. And I need His perseverance in my life. On the back of your communication card, which you filled in with all of us in a moment, going to put them all in the bucket. Would you join us? Check on the back. I'm committing my life to Christ. I'm recommitting my life to Christ. Pop it in the bucket with your offering. God bless you.